I moved to Ireland in 1990 mm. and I came to live on the mountain about 92 or 3, I suppose. So tell me about Blow In, which is your book that you're bringing out. It's it, a it, memoir, really, isn't it? It, it is a, a reminiscence, yeah, mainly. But it's also, I, I got strong opinions and it's also a vehicle to get them out. It's not exactly political, but it sort of is as well. Also, the place I live, Cool Mountain, had most of the press was pretty negative. Not all of it. And a lot of the negative press was quite unfair. So it's also um, a, an opportunity to to maybe correct the record a bit on behalf of my neighbours and myself. That's very interesting stuff because you hear such a lot of, there's a lot of mythology about this as a place to live. And there's, you know, everything from people describing it as being kind of full of crusties. You hear the term new age travellers, all of this type of stuff on the one hand. And then on the other hand, this kind of like, for people who love the idea of self-sufficiency and stuff, it's kind of mythologized in a whole other set of ways as well. You mentioned being unfairly treated uh, by the press there. What kind of things do you mean? The national press, I think it was the Sunday World, is it called? Okay, that, that so was, the Red Times. Uh, yeah, like the News of the World would have been in England. That that was absolutely made-up nonsense. Hash Mountain, I seem to remember, being one of their yeah. big articles. There wasn't much truth in it, and it was like rabble-rousing, really nasty stuff. More locally, Neil Prenderville took a major downer on us. He saw himself as... as protecting the honest folk of West Cork from these alien hordes, I think. That was the general thrust of his radio show. Did Neil Prenderville ever <laughs> come down? No, I don't <laughs> think I've ever heard of him being seen. As I said in the book, I don't think he's ever been west of Ballincollig. Lots of articles, even in proper papers like the Irish Times, would quote anonymous senior guardee making quite negative comments about us and things like that. We, we all always got associated with uh, Ian Bailey as well. Now, I've met Ian a few times. I know the man vaguely. He's very far away from here, though, isn't he's he? He's never lived here. I don't think he's even ever visited the place. Yeah. I, uh, I encountered him at um, some festival in Castle Townsend in the early to mid-90s. How about genuine problems with integration and stuff like that? There have been times, haven't there, where the natives, I guess, if you want to put it that way, the people who are actually, you know, originating Dunmanway, you know, and then and then the community of people who moved here in various successive ways, things haven't always been 100%, you know, uh, peaceful or well-intentioned. Um, uh, no, no, well that's true. Um... I'm not sure what the worst examples of it were. My, my own experience is I've, I've never really had any problems that kind of way. People, I find, generally treat you one at a time and either like or dislike you. I've, I've never really experienced any unpleasantness here as a result of being a blow-in. I think the worst thing was maybe uh, round about the turn of the century or even later, there was lots of loud parties here. And that quite rightly infuriated a lot of people uh, in the area that that was very inconsiderate mm, yeah and um no uh, most people here uh integrated quite successfully uh they worked they pushed arts and crafts along quite substantially um people generally interact very well with us i'd say more of my friends now would be 
would be uh, born in West Cork than Blowings. Uh, you write uh, really with a lot of insight in your book about uh, the creativity that people here brought to the area and you have some kind of interesting conclusions there about maybe because people had more time or because people freed up their own time to pursue what they wanted to that they brought a, a, a staggering array of different not only crafts but performing arts and music and stuff like that it's, it's quite an amazing well, that, that's the question is it that creative people are drawn to live a, uh, an unconventional life or is it that uh, having lots of time, everybody's potentially creative and if you make the time to explore what you can do, maybe everybody could be either a musician or an artist or a, a maker of various craft. Yeah, and, and you kind of associate that with the kind of anti-consumerist, independent approach that people, you know, I love the way you describe your music as being... Uh, I think you have a really nice analogy where you talk about it as the difference between kind of junk food, like piped in electronic music and junk food versus the good stuff that you make yourself. Well, that's just my own opinion. I wasn't yeah. speaking on anyone else's behalf. But yeah, for me, vernacular is a word I like. It, it's about real people doing what they like to do locally themselves with local materials. And in terms of music, it's the opposite of art music. Art music is trained professionals and the music descends from them. Whereas um, somebody who's not a professional musician, who's got a proper job doing something else, who enjoys playing music, is probably going to do it with a bit of passion. Yeah. And I prefer that approach myself. Yeah. So the book kind of charts your course from arriving in Ireland right the way up to almost the present and, uh, and I want to ask you questions about the future and stuff like that as well. Mm. But I'd like to ask you a little bit about the actual kind of craft of writing and stuff like that. Up until this point, you'd tackled some short stories. Is that right? No, I've never really had much published. Uh, just competitions associated with the local library uh, and just for my own amusement. That's all. And had you written, kept diaries or notebooks or anything like that? I mean, obviously you had years where you were living in, living in a, a van. I regret the passing of a lot of things, and one of them is the writing of letters. I used to write a lot of letters to friends. We all did back in the day. And when I was stuck trying to start this reminiscence off, I, I eventually decided to write it as if I was writing a letter to an old friend of mine, a particular man who lives in the Isle of Man, my home place. And so when I started writing a, a conversational, a chatty, informal style of a letter, that's how eventually I cottoned on to writing some kind of, a, with a technique, if you like. Yeah. How long did it take you? I started playing with it about three or four years ago. And then with COVID, I had plenty of time to finish the project. <laughs> okay, so it's one of those infamous lockdown projects that I keep. <laughs> no, no, not really. That's what finished it off. But it, it was well underway by that point. I edited and improved it a, a thousand times before I started presenting it to people to find out whether I, it was worthy of being published. What do you want readers to get? out of it the you know i mean that's it to me it's kind of quite interesting do you want them to get a sense of what your life has been like here or 
uh, or right those wrongs, as you said, of pe- you know people being correct those miss. I, I hadn't thought about that. I, I suppose I made decisions uh, to avoid a conventional life because it really didn't seem to be a very worthy use of your time. Do you know there's so many people trapped in jobs they don't enjoy and um, who, as, as we said a minute ago, might be very creative people but never get a chance to explore that. So um, for myself, it was nice to just follow me star and have a lash at as many things as I could. Some of them with disastrous results, but <laughs> one or two of them turned out quite cheerfully, you know. So if, if anyone else was able to do that as a result of reading this, I'd be delighted. So we're sitting here in your just most incredibly beautiful house and you describe Thanks. the building of the house in the book as well. Is this one of the big achievements that you've had? I mean, it's this is definitely not one of the things that's gone wrong for you, right? It's a, it's no, I, I, I'm, I love the house. I'm, yeah. I'm very happy here. Achievements? I don't know. Um, I suppose family life would probably be the best achievement. I don't know. It, it's certainly up there. I like my house. It's obviously central to, to most people's lives where they're living. Yeah. And um, I could have been in a square box in a city somewhere I would have been miserable um I, my heart went out to people who live say in Cork City when when the lockdown happened people who don't have access to the outdoors people yeah. who live up flights of stairs uh, who had no valid reason to leave their home for more than a few hours a week yeah I, I felt so sorry for them I've, I've got a few acres here to play on yeah without encountering anyone yeah. And if if that's not enough, there's a mountain just behind me I can climb up <laughs> every day if I choose to. Yeah. You describe really fantastically in your book that a lot <clears throat> of people who came here were motivated almost by a kind of a survivalist tendency going back to the early days. I mean, you mentioned you know that some of the like Germans and Dutch people were had read an article about this being the place to survive a nuclear disaster. I don't know how widespread that was, but yeah. uh, that was certainly part of it. Yeah. Uh, back in oh my student days, back in the seventies and eighties, nuclear war was a possibility. People talked about C and D was a big thing, so that's certainly part of why people came here. But I I don't think it's it's right to describe most of the people who are now my neighbours as, as survivalists. I, I think a lot of them just enjoyed a more cheerful and less responsible, I suppose, lifestyle and, and just made yeah. made their homes here and enjoyed it more. Yeah. Rather than being trapped in, in the kind of work-life tra- trap that most people have to endure. And yet at the conclusion of your book, you seem to kind of come full circle and you seem to be saying that from the position you're in now, you're 60, is it now? Or I'm, I'm 63 now. Um, uh, that You seem <clears throat> to be saying that you made the right choice, like looking at the landscape around us, the various different catastrophes that seem to be just constantly unfolding and the kind of state of crisis and flux that the world seems to be certainly entering at the moment, that you seem to be saying that here is right and that more people should be trying to follow a path of being self-sufficient, growing their own food. Here is right for me. Yeah. And um, I I don't think we're in danger of a nuclear war, but (laughs) 
I think society as a whole is on a very desperate course and I see capitalism as, as a major part of that. Now we all have to get by in our own ways. I've made my own compromises with capitalism and I, I run a car and I have a computer that makes me a consumer. I believe that the more people do things for themselves rather than uh, depending on business to supply it for them, then the better they will be in loads of ways. The better the planet will be, the better company those people will be as well. They'll yeah. have a lot more to talk about and a lot more to be satisfied with than simply consuming. At the same time, it could go a long way down that path and sound very preachy. So I don't really want to tell anyone else what to do. I just like to show them that it's possible. Describe for me how you live right now, because in the book, obviously, you were totally off-grid, a lot of it. Yeah, we were off-grid for more than 10 years, uh, totally off-grid. And I make the point in the book, you don't actually need electricity. It's not an absolute requirement. It just makes things very easy. A whole village of us managed to raise our kids and live quite healthy and productive lives and very happy ones without being connected to the electrical grid, as people have done since the Stone Age. But slowly over time you have you have made little changes. So you have uh, electric power, as you said, a computer, we're sitting next to a little lamp and stuff like that. Uh, anything else, any other kind of, uh, you know, upgrades along the way? Oh, plenty, I'm sure. Um, but the house is still largely made of second-hand materials. Um, I still cut my own firewood. I don't use electricity for heating anything. We keep the house warm by burning firewood. Um, I grow a lot of my own food. Yeah, and do you have any uh, any like livestock, any animals at the moment? My most recent ones were donkeys, but uh, it's oh. impossible to look after them properly and do all the travelling and, and my work and everything. Yeah. So um, I found somebody who's looking after them really well and their company for the horses that she already has. And so I don't actually have any livestock at the moment. Before the donkeys, I had a little flock of sheep for about eight or 10 years. How <coughs> much land do you actually have? A total of about three acres. So I only had four yos and whatever lambs they produced. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was strictly for the freezer then. They weren't pets. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And a local sheep farmer was very good. He's uh, given me lots of help. Everything from the ram service in them to, to uh, veterinary help and helping out with lambing. And um, a very generous man, so he made it very easy for me. Yeah. I worked as a harvester of trees. I did uh, a short contract for Quilter, but nearly all of what I did was uh, on larger estates and working for farmers. It would be clearing up wind damage, it would be thinning trees and harvesting them for firewood mainly. There was uh, something of a good living to be made from gathering seed for different types of trees. That's was. really fascinating. Yeah, that was very enjoyable. I think we must have done that for about seven or eight years, possibly even longer. Instead of having one job and making a living from it, I always enjoyed having half a dozen and some of them would be seasonal. So every autumn to collect, well, I specialise in hazelnuts, but more or less anything from acorns to um, slows to ash keys had a, a value. 
so we could collect them and get paid so much a kilo for them. That was uh, thoroughly pleasant work and it got us all out into nature there. There is a, a, an uptick in interest, you know, uh, there seems to be at the moment, I mean, the 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 young generation that's in their teens, you know, they're very, super, well, ostensibly on some level, very conscious about uh, climate change and the environment and stuff like that. And there's a real kind of empathic kind of mindset coming into play and stuff like that. There are yeah, causes I agree. for, for hope. play to them, yeah. The, the Greta Thunberg generation. Good luck to them. And... Um, Possibly, except I get I am I'm slightly uh, sceptical because I I worry about the kind of I think I wrote about that the the COP twenty six thing as a pantomime of disaster capitalism. <laughs> once you well start, once you start driving towards make your decisions as though your house is on fire, that's not how mm. I want anyone to be making any decisions. We don't make good decisions. We're subject to. Uh, the worst type of swooping in from all different directions if we're going to panic all the time. We can't panic, can we? We have to... I agree. But at the same time, everyone seems to want to keep a very high standard of of, uh, of living. It's not on the table to reduce the standards. So we, we talk about electric generation mm. as if there's a given demand for it that has to be fulfilled. Yeah. If people just turn the heating down a couple of degrees and put a jumper on, if you got rid of your electric toothbrush and used an old-fashioned acoustic one, people are reluctant to let go of what they feel is uh, they deserve. Yeah, it's it's always a little bit suspicious when a reduction in consumption doesn't enter the conversation. Right, yeah. <laughs> and then you get ideas such as planned obsolescence or even, what's it called, perceived obsolescence, when something's seen as being out of date, even though it works perfectly well. And yeah. you must buy a new one. But I, I don't want to sound too uh, preachy or political about this. I, it's just I've made my own decisions. And if anyone else was able to do the same, then I'd be delighted. You know, it's, it's, it's not really a, a political movement or anything. No. I, I personally feel the world is going the wrong way very quickly. And I think I made that point pretty clearly in the book. Can you paint a small picture of what that means? Uh, oh dear. <laughs> I think that's what I tried to do in the book. Yeah. I, I mean, pollution is, is um, a massive problem. Mm. I, I keep on seeing statistics such as there's more mass of plastic in the sea than there is of fish. Or we're going to reach that point very quickly. That That's obscene, isn't it? Everyone's very well aware of global warming and yet fossil fuel consumption is only ever increasing. Yeah. They might be talking about trading off who's responsible for it. And, and, and it is happening massively. Uh, extreme climate events are one in a hundred year events are now one every three or four years, worldwide or, or locally, really. It's it's shocking. Uh, it it used to be the case that every time you went fishing, you'd catch dozens of mackerel. I I caught about five mackerel this year. Yeah, I I don't really know. Um, Colin Barnes, whale watching. Last time I was talking to him, he's really seriously noticing fewer whales. But whether that's part of a normal fluctuation or part of some bigger pattern, I've no idea. Individual people and their desire to enrich themselves thoughtlessly is causing major problems. 
Well, if ca- I mean, go. if cash is the bottom line and the only measure of success for everything that we do throughout the healthcare service, how we manage our land around us, all the different things. I mean, that's it can't really go well, can it? The health service is in crisis. You don't need me to, to no. mention that. Yeah. But um, I think it's a race to the bottom at the moment. And as many people hop off that racing bus, the better. And adapt different, <coughs> choose different ways of life, life for themselves. I think if you talk to people who have opted for uh, a simpler life away from the cities and a bit of self-sufficiency, then I think you'll find they're probably a lot happier than they were in their previous existences. And, and just to finish that, self-sufficiency, it's, we, we only achieved about 30 or 40% of that. Do you know, we, we weren't in any way completely self-sufficient. And if you try to be, then you're going to spend every waking hour working hard. Yeah, I know. really like that in the book you are quite honest and quite pragmatic about that. You know, you. I think at one point you make reference to, you know, in medieval times, people's lives must have been a bloody endless drudgery. Yeah. You know? we, we had the luxury of picking and choosing which yeah. bits of medieval life were colourful enough to want to have a go at the same time as driving cars. You know, you're talking about climate change and environment and catastrophes and capitalism. And are, are you in any way an optimist about the future? <laughs> <laughs> what, what about the future for humans? I mean, you're... you're oh, there, there will be one. Yeah. It's just how many of them and what their quality of life's going to be. Yeah. I, I, I've made my own decisions for myself and I'd really like to avoid preaching to other people. But um, my point of view is underrepresented. So if this book gives that a little nudge, it might restore a bit of balance. I think I sound a bit pompous here. <laughs> You're very worried about that, aren't you? Well, I don't want to. You're very worried about being preachy or pompous or... It's not a good look, is it? (laughs) (laughs) At the same time, you're coming from a place of experience. People can learn from your book and from the great variety of different stuff you've done. You know, you've done a lot, like. I don't want to present myself as a teacher. No. That's what I'm trying to avoid. Why? I'm not. (laughs) Why? Well, uh, I don't think it's a good look. The launch that you're going to be having for your book. So you're doing it in Connolly's of Lep. That's right, yeah. It's, uh, it's mentioned in the book, obviously enough. Um, we played there quite a lot, so it's nice to be going back. And Dunmunway doesn't have a bookshop. Amazing, so I didn't know that. That's what I thought. If ever I get banned off the road, that's, that's what I'll have to set up, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, Connolly's is nice and handy um, for Skib and for Clon and Dunmunway, I suppose. It's a central place and we've got the, the links with it from... Bog band days. So tell me a little bit about that because I, I'm I'm not going to describe you as a Renaissance man too much. Oh no, please but you don't. Have no. your finger in a lot of different pies. Um, you're also uh, a musician. So tell me a little bit about the bog band. The band has been going for a good while. There must have been more than a dozen people in it. The particular one I was involved with was in the early '90s. It was a five-piece band. Um, the music was largely American three chord music, but uh, we we varied it. We had a lot of other stuff in as well, and it was just a lot of fun. I was in my early thirties at the time. We were all similar age, late twenties, early thirties, and um, newly arrived in Ireland and trying to uh, 
just explore every little corner of it and music opens a lot of doors so it was a lot of fun good years great years yeah and where are people going to be able to buy copies of blow in if they're interested that's really a question to ask the publishers um i believe they're starting in various bookshops around west cork and they'd like to push it a bit further within ireland i'd be hoping that they'd sell they'd try and distribute it within the uk because as i said i was originally trying to describe my world to a friend who doesn't live in ireland and there's lots of places I feel the need to explain what a Gwailtacht is or what the Gardaí are. So I think naturally it would um, it would probably work in the UK. Yeah. But that's really a question for, for Morris and his partner, Mary. Yeah. Are you proud of it? Of the book? Yes, I like it. I, I, I read it last night. <laughs> or most of it I still haven't finished and I, I, I found myself pleasantly surprised by bits of it I, I was very anxious there's a, a couple of mistakes in it and and I started getting a bit depressed about it but the more I read the uh, the happier I was I think there's a good analogy to to, to um, performing and being a musician there though you know like when when you know a musician and they come up and they come off stage and they've done a big gig and they're like oh I made a mistake here I made a mistake there and you just say to them like the audience don't know that mm, <laughs> you mm, know it's the same right well, I mean, because case, you're on the inside of don't it don't tell you've... my audience <laughs> don't, don't take this musician thing too far I'm I'm a keen amateur I'm not a, a highly skilled well-trained musician I'm a busker who, <laughs> who fell lucky with a couple of bands I was in. Okay. I've got a passion for it. I love it. Yeah. I'm not a particularly highly skilled. I don't practice much. Okay. Do Are you, know? you a writer? Of music? No, of books. No, no, of course not. No. Come on, you, you, your modesty is, is going to be the death I've, of I've you. I've written You've one written book. You've book and you've and... spent years on the road playing music. You are both a musician and a writer. Well, okay. <laughs> okay, thanks You're going to have to own your house. creative life. I mean, it's part of what you've produced in all of these years. This yeah. is my creative life. There's three acres that's a lot more beautiful than it was when I arrived. Yeah. I've planted thousands of trees. My children, my grandchildren now, that, that's, that's the most important thing. All the rest of it is having fun along the way, having a, a bit of crack. Mm -hmm.